Uh, we have begun um, a brand new sermon series here studying the book of Exodus. And no, we are not going to be in it for 40 years. Still, okay. Take that out of the introduction. The joke does not land. All right. So listen, um, we're going to be in this study. This is the third week of about an eight to ten week uh, series where we will look at some of the more significant events in the book of Exodus and study them in context. The series will describe the Israelites as they are free from slavery in Egypt and show us a God who is revealing his character and his nature along the way. Exodus speaks of a God who liberates, provides, protects, cares for, and gives his people an identity, the people of God, Israel. And he's doing the same for us today as a church, as we understand that he liberates us and frees us from sin so that we can find freedom in Christ. The big idea for us is to discover that the God who makes himself known is the God who keeps his promises. Nick will come and read Exodus chapter 3 verses 11 through 15, and also chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. As he comes, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that in these moments you would quiet all other voices uh, that try to get into our thoughts. But God, would you and your voice be lifted up above all. May we hear from you. May we listen. May we obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then God asked him, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, And they asked me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be resembled in every generation. Chapter 4. Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, his hand was diseased, resembling snow. Put your hand back inside your cloak, he said. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, it had become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, 
they may believe the evidence of the second sign. And if they don't believe even these two signs, or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, the water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How are we doing today? Doing all right? Good, good. I, I really enjoyed worshiping today w- with you. And man, what a throwback. Shout to the Lord. I felt like I was in like youth camp again, facing the ocean, like singing this song, like in probably in Panama City. I don't know where we were doing youth camp that summer, but man, that was good. That was good. Uh, Many of you know my father. Uh, He has been here over the past five weeks, and he has been overseeing the renovation of our new space. He was the one who worked with the carpenter, the electrician, the the team that installed the air condition and the heating system, and he served in the role and the title of general contractor. That's what he did. He was the one that had the plan, the vision for what renovation should look like and what needed to take place when. I would occasionally uh, show up and, and make some suggestions along the way. Um, I was careful not to uh, talk to the contractors and tell them what to do because that was his role, right? And so I would mention things to, to the general contractor instead. And I never referred to him as dad. Um, I referred to him as, as Steve. Um, the general contractor, right? And it felt slightly awkward uh, because I've always called him dad for over 40 years, but on the job site, he was general contractor Steve Mills, and so he was in charge. I'm not sure that everybody even knew that he was uh, my father, or maybe they did, and they just kind of humored me as I called him uh, Steve. Uh, There's a lot of meaning in what we call someone. As what we call someone will often clarify the relationship. Today, we see that God wants to be known, and in doing so, he shares his name with Moses, providing much more than just a title. He gives his name to clarify who he is in his nature and also his character. As we pick up the story, we understand that God has just informed Moses of his calling while speaking from a burning bush. He is to be used by God to set the Israelites free from slavery in Egypt. Until this point in Exodus in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and here a little bit in chapter 3, we've only seen the title for the divine, the term God. It's not God's name. It's a title. In Hebrew, it would have been the word Elohim, which is a category of being. So we're talking about deity in this case, just like the word human is a category of being, but it's not a name, right? Here, God is intentional. He's very specific. He wants to reveal himself in a particular way. So beyond the title God, he actually gives Moses his name while speaking from this bush that is on fire, but it's not burned up. Verse 13 in chapter 3 of Exodus, we see this dialogue between the two. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? 
What shall I tell them? Verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. He says it again, I am has sent me to you. Now, Moses' question, it, it makes sense. He can't just go back to the, to the Israelites and then to Pharaoh and, and say that a burning bush told him that he would lead the people out of slavery there in Egypt. He needed to know who was sending him. And he needed a name. So Moses says, who do I tell them if they say, what is his name? Who do I, who do I say? God responds, I am who I am. Now, the culture of Moses' day would have been polytheistic and synchronistic, which means that they worshiped multiple gods, and somehow they put them all together as much as they needed. They would pray to the god of rain if they needed their crops to grow. They would pray to the fertility goddess if they were trying to start a family. They would take a little bit here and a little bit there. They want some of that god and some of this god, and they would put it together, and that would become their religion. That's the culture that they were in there in Egypt. Even if it didn't make any logical sense, it was polytheistic and synchronistic at the same time. And so Moses knew they were going to ask, well, which God are you talking about here? Is it a new God? If it is, how does it fit in with the gods that we know? Moses, we need some details, some details about your burning bush in Midian. So the name is important that God provides to Moses. He says, I am who I am. He says it again, I am has sent me to you. Now the, the Hebrew phase, phrase, if you want to know a little bit of Hebrew that is given for God's name here is Iyeh Eser Iyeh. Now it sounds as complicated as it is translated. Um, into English. It comes from the Hebrew phrase to be. Now, it could translate in nine different ways. Translations such as I am who I am, I was who I was, or I will be who I will be, along with all of the different variations of those combinations, such as I am who I was, or I am who I will be, and so forth. Nine different ways that it could be translated. While our Bibles only give us the one translation, I am who I am, it is sufficient. But the meaning is that God has always been, and he will always be. He is independent of time and Creation. God is describing here his very existence. He wants Moses and the Hebrew people to know him as the God who is not defined by anyone else but himself. I am who I am. In our culture today, we often imagine God uh, to be saying, I am whoever you want me to be. That's the God of our culture, isn't it? Not a God who is, but a God who, who morphs and evolves, transforms into whatever you think him to be. Do you need him to be angry with your enemies? Well, you can have that God. Do you need him to have and give you all the good stuff? Well, we can get that God for you. 
Do you need him to agree with you on all the choices you've made in your life, all right? We'll get that God for you too, because culture says God is whatever you imagine him to be. That's the God that we hear about, but that is not this God. This God is the I am who I am. We who are created in God's image ever since the fall have been trying to recreate God in our image. That's the great sin of our culture, our world that we live in. We must remember that we are created. We must know our place. He is the creator. He defines who he is. He is, above all, preexistent, not defined by anyone else. That is who he is, and this is all about him. This is his story that we find ourselves in. He is the God above it all. The question of who is God to you is the wrong question. The better question is in what ways has the God of the Bible made himself known to you. He is who he is. He defines himself. It is his story that we find ourselves in. He is making himself known, and we get to be a part of that story, making him known across the planet. It is all about God, and we need to learn that. And Moses also needed to learn that in this story. What was the first thing that, that Moses said? After he learned of God's call on his life. You can read it in verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11 with me. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Isn't it interesting that Moses asked, who am I? And God reverses his question and responds with, I am. Who am I? I am. Moses, it's not about you and how you are deficient and how you're not good enough. It is about God and who he is. Remember, this is a worship moment, isn't it? This is a tabernacle moment where God is meeting with man. This is a holy place. And Moses has already taken off his sandals. He is in the presence of a holy God standing on holy ground. He doesn't deserve to be in this moment, does he? If you remember his story, he has every right to feel inadequate in the call that has just been given to him. He already tried this plan once on his own, killing the Egyptian taskmaster, thinking it would start a revolt against Pharaoh so that he could deliver his people, it turned out horribly for, for Moses. The Pharaoh then was out to kill him. His own people rejected him and thought poorly of him. And so he fled from Egypt to Midian, where he became a shepherd for 40 years. He seems like the least qualified person for this job. That's the point, isn't it? It's not about Moses. It's about the I am. And here he is with holy God. And God says, I am calling you. And here is how you're going to pull it off. You can read it with me in verse 12. Moses asked, who am I? 
Verse 12, the answer from God. I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. This mountain, we talked about it. It's Mount Horeb. But at the same time, the other name for it is Mount Sinai. It will become an important mountain. He will lead his people there. But here we see that the Hebrew word for I am, Iser, is, or yeah, is used at the beginning of verse 12 with the phrase, I will. It's the same word here. When God says, I will, he's also using the same word that he spoke about his name. God is revealing himself to Moses. Not just so that Moses can have the credentials of knowing his name, although that's important. He also reveals himself to Moses so that Moses can understand who God is for Moses. God promises, he certainly says, I am with you. I will be with you. Moses, I'm not asking you to go by yourself. I will be with you. I am with you now, and I am going with you. My presence will go with you where I am sending you. The great I am is coming with you. That's how this is going to take place. You're not going alone. I'm sending you, and I'm coming with you. We have something very similar in the gospel accounts, don't we? Especially in Matthew, where we see Jesus commissioning the disciples. It would be a commission that we too would step into, that we are to go and we are to make disciples. And then a promise is given. Do you like the King James Version? Lo, I am with you always. Where he is calling you, his presence also goes. The ministry of presence, it is, it is powerful. And I need to be reminded of that far too often, maybe because of the way that I'm wired and my my makeup, maybe it's because of the the role that I'm in often, I quickly get into trying to to fix things, right? To solve problems. My top two strengths in the Clifton Strength Finders, if you you do that, are futuristic and restorative. And so what that means is I, I can often see like a preferred future and I can see how to get there, but... More importantly, I can see all the hurdles in the way that keep us from maybe getting there. And so I begin to identify and begin to come up with solutions to to problems, trying to fix things. Sometimes some things need to be fixed. But I know that presence is often a greater gift to someone that is in need, just showing up. Just be in there. I don't have all the answers, but I'm, but I'm here. I know this journey that we're about to go on is difficult, and I don't have all the answers for you right now, but I am here, and I'm going to be here with you. The great I am says that to Moses, and he says that to you as he calls you. God continues to do that for us, his church. The God of Moses, he He makes himself even more fully known through Jesus, who has come to be with us. Now, wait, did I just make a jump from the burning bush to Jesus? You bet. Jesus coming to us is the continued revelation of the God of Moses. On many occasions, Jesus, he declared himself to be the I am. He used this name 
The most critical moment was in John chapter 8. It's in verses 58 to 59. You can read it with me here. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, he's going back, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. If Jesus only meant to say that he existed before Abraham, he would have said, I was. Jesus has and will always exist. So that response of I was would have been insufficient. The Son of God knew what he was doing when he uses the phrase, I am. He's using the name of God. The Jews didn't pick up stones because they misunderstood what Jesus was saying. That's not the point. They got it. They knew that he was declaring himself to be God. The one who spoke from the burning bush. J.C. Ryle, a 19th century Anglican bishop, says of this text in John, he says this, carefully note, what a strong proof we have here of the pre-existence and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He applies to himself the very name by which God makes himself known when he undertook to redeem Israel. It was, I am who brought them out of the land of Egypt. It was, I am who died for us upon the cross. You see, this isn't just a story about the Hebrew people being delivered out of slavery in Egypt. God continues to make himself known, and this revelation is all pointing to Jesus. And he continues to fully make himself known through the gospel. Jesus has come to deliver us from sin, the bondage of sin, and into freedom in Christ. That's what this story is pointing to. That's what this story is all about. This is God's story, and it's all pointing to the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. For Moses, though, he continued to delay the call didn't he? He needed more from God. He needed more to be able to respond to what God has called in his life. Has me thinking, what does our response look like? God is gracious. He provides Moses three signs. We can read about it here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Moses answered, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, resembling snow. Put your hand back inside your cloak, he said. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it had, begun, it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you, 
and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe the evidence of the second sign. And if they don't believe even those two signs, listen to what you say. Or listen to what you say. Take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. Now these signs, they're really about Moses, aren't they? Because you see them in succession, he continues to ask for more from God. God has already said he will be with him. You're not going alone, Moses. He's already given Moses his name. He's also told him what to say to the Israelites, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent him. God has given him all that he needs, and despite all of it, Moses still procrastinates, having trouble with his own belief that the God, the great I am, is going to be faithful. So God graciously gives three signs. A shepherd's staff is transformed into a snake and then back into a staff. Moses' unclean hand is transformed back into a clean hand. And finally, God says he will turn water from the Nile into blood. You think that's enough? Moses continues to give excuses. I'm not good with this talking thing. I need to go and speak to them, but I can't speak. So God continues to provide. He is the God who is faithful. He gives him Aaron, his brother, to speak on his behalf. On and on, Moses delays and, and gives excuses instead of responding to God's calling. And at each turn, God meets him in his reluctance until Moses finally returns to Egypt. What about you? What has God been calling you to do? Where have you been reluctant? Where have you delayed? Where have you given excuses? Where has God made himself known to you that he is the great I am? He is above all, that this is his story and he's invited you into it and you've just delayed, been reluctant, given excuses along the way. What about you where God has said, I am, I am not just calling you, I'm going to be with you, I'm giving you my presence, I'm coming near. That's what the gospel is about. God is coming near to you. But yet we, we don't follow through. We don't answer the call. How have you been reluctant? Let me encourage you to delay no longer. He is making himself known to you. He is calling you. He has proved himself over and over and over again to us. God may have not provided us a, a shepherd's staff that turned into a snake, but he did provide a shepherd who crushed the head of the serpent. He did not simply purify our unclean hands, but he offers a transformed life, making us holy in righteousness through Christ. He does not turn water into blood for us, but instead he spills his own blood on the cross so that we may find living water, a new life in him. He has provided for us over and over again. He has given us, he's given us more than three signs as he has kept his promise. He died on a cross, and three days later, he rose from the grave. 
He's provided so much for us so that we can answer his call and to enter into his story. How is he calling you today? Where is he calling you to put your trust in him, to believe in him? He is the great I am. He is worthy of our faith, worthy of our belief, worthy of our trust. Uh, this past week, I uh, took over for general contractor Steve Mills um, at our new uh, worship space, our new worship center. Um, I am tired, but the renovation, it's almost complete. Um, I think there's maybe one more day left of renovation, at least this big part. Um, while I was there this past week, I had a conversation uh, with one of the other tenants in the building, and he was asking for my father. He asked, is the priest still here? (laughs) I didn't know at first what he was talking about. I thought maybe he's talking about me. Uh, I'm I'm a pastor. I'm not necessarily the priest of a church. Um, But he went on to say, is the priest from Tennessee here? I think his name is Stephen. (laughs) My dad's watching this. I guess... um, I guess in some ways in Christ, we are all a royal priesthood, right? I guess you can get away with that. But, you know, I I took a minute and I just explained to the man um, about who my father was, about who we were as a church, and introduced myself, you know, as the pastor in case he ever needed to get in touch with us. It helped to provide some clarity to his confusion. And God has made it clear to us. He is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He is the I am who I am. His story has been made known to us. It's not, it's not hidden away. You can find it. He's made himself known. And he is the God who keeps his promises. He has given us his name, the same name that Jesus used to speak about himself, and we can put our trust in him. He is the I am. I want to invite the band to come, and they're going to play for us a little bit. And as they do, I'm going to ask some questions so that we can listen to what the Lord may be saying to us. And take a moment just to come before him and and bow. Ask the Lord to speak to you. How has the God of the Bible revealed himself to you? How has the God the Bible revealed himself to you. How has he called you? How is he calling you even today? Where have you maybe delayed in responding to him given excuses like like Moses gave 
Where have you delayed in responding to him? And finally, how has God proven himself to you in the work of Jesus? How has God proven himself to you through the mighty work of Jesus? He died on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven. He was raised again so that we may have new life. He sent his only son who then willingly went to the cross for you so that you may know him and be a part of his story. He gave his life. He has more than proved himself to you. The God who makes himself known is the God who keeps his promises. He is worthy of our worship. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for revealing yourself to us that you did come near, that you not only come near to reveal, but you've come near to be with us. We do not deserve. We do not deserve it. We are inadequate to be a part of your story. (laughs) We don't deserve it. We're inadequate to, to be part of your call and your plans and what you're doing. We thank you that we get to be a part of it through the cross, though. We thank you. It amazes me that you would use us. Father, may we continue to worship you with our lives, even this week, as we follow after you. Pray this in Jesus' name.